Good morning. The Lord is good. Amen. I bring to you greetings from the islands of Hawaii and a very warm aloha to you this morning. This morning, as we get into the Word of God, I invite you to turn me to our opening text as we get into it. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to stay in the book of 1 Samuel. But we're going to go into our Bible study this morning as we open the Word of God this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. It's an honor and a privilege to be here this morning to worship with you, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But before we begin, I ask that you're... Bow your heads with me as we seek the Lord in prayer. Father, as your word is open, we humbly ask that your spirit may open our hearts and our minds. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon entitled is, Bring Back the Glory. God's glory. Whatever happened to his glory? As a minister of the gospel and God's remnant church, I've searched high and low and I still haven't found it. I've explored numerous places and I'm still seeking. I pursued many leads and I'm still hunting for it. As a minister, I can tell you that I've yet still to discover it. For I've seen the homes of our families torn apart by contention and hostilities within. I've seen the movings of the Holy Ghost hindered by the decisions to follow worldly policies. I've seen the forever dreams of our young people crushed by sin. I've seen the only hope Glimmer of hope within the faith or extinguished by the politics within the church. Oh, beloved, this morning I plead with you can tell me, where is that glory? We're in a serious situation. Our churches this morning, beloved, are suffering. Even though we're in a critical condition, it seems that no one even cares this morning anymore. If there ever was a time where we needed God to deliver us, beloved, that time is now. Now is the time to do something about it. Now is the time to make a difference. Now is the time to bring back that glory. Oh, beloved, how much we need that glory this morning. So this morning, as the creative power of God's word is open, may God's Holy Spirit lead us to understanding of his glory. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. Let's look at the condition of the Jewish church at that time. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. Notice what happened. Eli had two sons. Notice what Eli's sons did. Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible says, Wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The Bible says here that the sins that they did for personal gain at that time, it was very great in the eyes of God, the Bible says. And because of the sins of 
the leadership of the Jewish church in those days, the Bible says that it turned people, people were abhorred, or they turned away in disgust from the offering of the Lord. Because of the sins within a Jewish church, people despised the worship of the God and moved away from it. Chapter 2, verse 12. Why were they evil and wicked men? Notice the Bible says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, because they knew not the Lord. They did wickedness and evil because the Bible says they knew not the Lord. In other words, because they didn't know God or his character, his character of love, which is his glory, because they didn't know his glory, the Bible says for to know God is to love God. If they understood his true character of love, they would fall in love with God, and if you love God, you will keep his commandments and be obedient to him. The Bible says they're sons of wickedness and evil because they knew not God. They didn't didn't understand a true revelation of God's character, his glory, because they didn't understand that they didn't obey God. They're sons of wickedness within the Jewish church in those days. Chapter 3, verse 1. Why didn't they have a true knowledge of God? The Bible says in child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious or rare in those days, and there was no open vision, no understanding. The reason why they didn't have a true knowledge of God was because the word of God was rarely spoken or understood in those days. Now, where is knowledge normally taught? In schools. In other words, Eli's sons didn't have a true knowledge of God because the schools in those times were not teaching using the word of God. Instead, they were teaching using the vain philosophies of men rather than the scriptures in those days. And without this knowledge of the word of God, they didn't understand the true character of God's character. And thus, they were not able to fall in love with God. Therefore, they were not able to truly be obedient to his word. Because we only worship what we appreciate. If we appreciate the living God and his true character, we will fall in love with him and we will show appreciation of worship to that God. But if we see a God which we cannot appreciate, we will not fall in love with that God. Thus, we will not keep his commandments. And thus, the condition of Israel church was in a sad situation back then. With this background, let's go into our story. Chapter 4, verse 3. Before Israel went out to fight against the Philistines one more time, they fought the first time and they lost and they went out again. What did the people decide to do? The Bible says in verse 3. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore has the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. This time before going out to battle, as the church of God in those days, they decided, let's take the ark of the covenant with us. For the ark of the covenant is with us, God will be with us also. 
You see, the Jewish church had believed that since they had the ark, now what's inside of the ark of the covenant? Several things. The Ten Commandments. In other words, the Jewish church believed that since they had the Ten Commandments, in other words, since they were the only ones who held all Ten Commandments, they were considered special. Just because they had a truth and they held the oracles of truth, then that was enough. What happened when the ark came into the camp? Chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. They got excited because we were at that time, they were at that time, they felt God's only true church who had all of the commandments of God in those days. They're excited that they now have a token of God's favor with them. How did the Philistines react? Look at chapter 4, verse 7. The Philistines, the enemy was watching this and they heard something. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe unto us, for there has not been such a thing hitherfore. The Philistines, when they heard the camp of Israel shouting, were afraid. When they found out the Ark of the Covenant was with them. They were so terrified that they almost retreated. But then they regained their courage and said, no, we're going to go down. We're not going to go down without a fight. So they decided to fight against the Israelites. What happened at this battle? They went to battle. They met each other. Chapter 4, verse 10 to 11, the Bible says, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. The Bible says that the Israelites were beaten that day. 30,000 of their greatest warriors had been slain on the battlefield. Now, why did they lose? Didn't they have the Ark of the Covenant? Didn't they have the truth? Weren't they God's true church? If this was all true, then why did they lose, beloved, this morning, I ask you? You see, the Bible says that God sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. In other words, God blesses everyone, the good people and the bad people. And I can tell you from experience this morning, beloved, that I know that my God is a merciful, a loving, a forgiving, and a long-suffering God this morning. You believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. amen. But we are told in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, that the Holy Ghost is given by God to them that obey him. Inspiration also says in Prophets and Kings, page 293, that God's favor toward Israel had always been conditional upon their obedience. A loving obedience, but nevertheless 
and obedience. Not just because they had the Ark of the Covenant, beloved. They must have a loving obedience to God before they gave them a special presence of God's favor. God gave a special presence of his favor toward them. It was not enough that they held all the oracles of truth, beloved. It was a commitment, a personal commitment to God, a relationship with God that produced the fruits of obedience within their lives that God gave to the Jewish church a special favor of his love to them. And so they went out against the enemy and they failed because they failed to have God's favor with them. problem was that the Jewish church was just going through the forms and the traditions of just going to church. They were just going through the motions of spirituality every single day and every single week, denying the power thereof of God. What happened? Chapter 4, verse 20 to 22. Chapter 4, verse 20 to 22. Phinehas' wife was giving birth. The Bible says, and about the time of her death, the Bible says, the, woman that, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. Because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel. For the ark of God is taken. The glory had departed from Israel. And as on that battlefield, thousands upon thousands of Israelite soldiers were slain on that day. There was heard voices shouting above the sound of battle. Ichabod, the glory has departed. Ichabod, the glory has departed from Israel. Time moved on. Days passed into months. Months passed into years. But Israel still continued on with her forms of worship, even though they now knew that they no longer had the Ark of the Covenant, neither the glory of God. It seemed that Israel could go no lower, but then it happened. Israel now faced the greatest crisis as a nation. What happened next? Chapter, turn to chapter 13 now. Chapter 13, verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. What was this crisis? Notice the Bible says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as a sand which is on the seashore in multitude. The Bible says they had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen and people, soldiers that numbered as the sand is on the seashore. Now in Hawaii, I like to walk to the beach and swim in the ocean. You ever picked up a bunch of sand 
You ever try to count all those grains of sand? It was impossible. Can you imagine the army of Israel facing an enemy, 30,000? The Bible says of the chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as numbered. There must have been hundreds of thousands of them lined up in battle array against God's people at that time. What was Israel's reaction to this crisis? Notice in verse chapter 13, 6 and 7. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. Some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. The Bible says that when the Israelites saw the strength of the enemy and the condition of the Jewish church at that time, the Bible says they became discouraged. The Bible says that some of the people hid themselves in the caves and the mountains. Some of them jumped onto the enemies, the Philistines. The Bible says there's only 600 of them decided to stay with Paul, with, I'm sorry, with with Saul, and trembled as they followed. Now think about it. If you're facing an army that numbered as the sands of the sea, and all you had was 600 fellow soldiers who were trembling follow your leader, wouldn't you be terrified also? One of the sad things about this crisis is that the Bible says, that some of the Hebrews went over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, never to return. There's also a sad commentary that today, a large majority of our young people today, beloved, had passed over the Jordan to the other side, never to return. The Bible says that in the last days, iniquity will abound and the love of many will grow cold. And it's because of the increasing sins within the churches that the love within our churches have also grown cold, beloved, this morning. And it's because of the truth of this statement that many of our young people have become discouraged at what they have seen and experienced in God's remnant church and have left God's remnant church never to return. Some of you may even know some of them. Some of you may be even related to some of them this morning. It was a sad situation back then. But what else was going on in this, in this battle? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19 and 20. 19, 20, and 22. The Bible says, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. In other words, they had no weapons. All they had was gardening tools as their weapons. Verse 22. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. Can you imagine? You're in war with a whole league of soldiers. 
Hundreds of thousands of soldiers, possibly millions of soldiers lined up against you. All you had was 600 men. And they had the latest technology and weapons. And all you had were just knives today's handguns. And that's all you had. Can you imagine them looking at the enemy? So much, so much soldiers lined up in perfect battle array against them. And all they had was gardening tools as their weapons. God's church at this time is all they had was gardening tools, beloved. Now, gardening tools are good for gardening. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, beloved, it is no matches against the host of Satan and his armies. Amen? What they needed was swords that day. What they needed was the word of God. But the Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. You see, what happened was the Philistine agencies had so regulated the smiths in those days that they were not allowed, they were restricted, they were not allowed to produce swords. All they were allowed to produce is worthless gardening tools. Same way. Israel was in slavery to the Philistine agencies in their schools. So much so back then that all they were allowed to produce was gardening tools. There were no swords allowed to be presented, to be taught in those days. But even then, there still was an underground blacksmith, the Bible says, that was able to produce two swords, two weapons, a few soldiers, but two people were allowed to learn and to understand the sword, the word of God. And you're going to see that God used one of these men. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6 to 7. In the midst of the crisis, Jonathan, who had a sword, what did he do? The Bible says in chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young man that bear his armor, Come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to your heart. The Bible says that Jonathan asked his army bearer if he would go with him to alone, just them two, to attack the armies of the Philistines all by themselves that numbered as the sand of the sea. And so they went, the two of them, just the two of them. Now if you were Jonathan's army bearer and Jonathan asked you to join him to fight against this massive army, what would you think of him? He's crazy, right? I would think the same thing. You probably think he was crazy. But I want you to notice that his armor bearer was willing to go with Jonathan. Why? Because his armor bearer knew that Jonathan loved God. 
foremost. He loved God. He knew he was a man of God. He knew he could trust in him. So he turned to Jonathan and he followed him. Secondly, he knew that Jonathan had the sword. Amen? He knew that Jonathan had the creative power of God's word. And he knew that with the creative power of God's word, he would be successful wherever he went. And therefore, he was rightly trained, beloved, in the word of God. It wasn't there yet an army of youth, but it was just two people who were rightly trained with the sword. So he followed him. What happened next? As they attacked the Philistines, verse 13 and 14. Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, an half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. The Bible says that Jonathan and his armor bearer took out an outpost of about 20 men by themselves. Now what happened because of this victory? Notice what it says in verse 15. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. When the Philistines saw these two men taking whole outposts by themselves, they knew that there must be a power higher than these men. And therefore a great shaking and a trembling fell across the whole army of the Philistines. What happened next? Look at verse 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. The Bible says at this time that when Saul and his 600 men saw that there was something going on, beloved, they came down to join the battle. What happened next? Verse 21. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, those who double-crossed the Israelite army, who jumped ship to the other side, who they thought was going to be the winners, the traitors. The Bible said the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up from them into the camp from the country roundabout, even they also, the Bible says, turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. When those who would double-cross the Jewish church at that time, when they looked and saw the moving of God, and they saw that something was going on, beloved, the Bible says that they too came and joined the army. But it didn't end there, beloved. Verse 22, the Bible says here, Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. Those who had hid in the mountains and the caves 
The Bible says, when they saw that something was going on, they also followed hard to join the battle. And all of this happened, beloved, just because of the courage of just one man. For it was the courage of just one man who inspired his armor bearer, those who were faithful to God in God's church, to join the battle. It was the courage of just one man who inspired the king, representing the leadership within the church, to join the battle. It was the courage of this one man who inspired the trembling 600 soldiers, those who stay within the church but who are dispirited this morning, beloved, to join the battle. It was the courage of this one man who inspired those who had united with the Philistines, those who have been hurt by the church and are now attending Sunday churches to be fed to join the battle. It was the courage of this one man who inspired those who are hiding out in the caves and the mountains, those who are discouraged and are worshiping now in those home churches to join the battle. One by one, beloved, as they popped their heads out of the mountains and the caves and they looked out and they saw that something was going on in God's Jewish church at that time. And they slowly came out of their hiding to join their people. Soon there was a massive army united against the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel. And all of this, beloved, just because of the courage of just one man. Do we believe that those who were discouraged within Saul's army weren't loyal to Israel? Do we believe that those who joined the Philistine army weren't really loyal to Israel? Do we believe that those who hid in the mountain and the caves weren't really loyal to Israel? In spite of all that they did, down deep inside, they were still loyal to the church. All they needed, beloved, was just one person, just one man to make a difference. Who was it that saved Israel that day? Look at verse 23. The Bible says, So the Lord saved Israel that day. The Bible says that it was God, the Lord who saved, God who saved or delivered Israel that day. And he saved Israel that day to the courage of just one man, a man who had been rightly trained, a man who had the courage to stand by his convictions, a man willing to be used by God. And this morning, I ask you a question. Where are you this morning in this story? Where are you in this story? Are you like Saul? A leader in God's remnant church who wants to do something, but you're too disheartened to do anything? Maybe you're like the 600 men, those who have decided to stay within the Seventh-day Adventist church, but you're trembling as you're following the leadership. Maybe you're like those who joined the Philistines, those who have left God's remnant church to join a Sunday church, or at least visit them, because someone had hurt you within the church. 
Maybe like those who are hidden in the mountains and the caves. Those who have deserted the church to worship in a home church because you're discouraged at the sins that you saw within the church. Where are you this morning? Where are you really this morning, spiritually? Whatever your situation may be, you may be that person that God is calling upon to change the direction of God's beloved remnant church this morning. Amen? Is there a Jonathan here this morning? Is there just one person here to inspire courage within those who are spiritually depressed, bravery within those who are emotionally despondent, and valor within those who are morally discouraged this morning? Is there just one person here who is designed to take big risks for God? Just one person here who is willing to surrender it all to Him this morning. Just one person here is willing to give up the job, the career, or the possessions to, whoever, to do whatever God wants you to do this morning. Is there just one person here this morning? Just one. See our challenge this morning is that in our own lives we've invested too much to give it all up. We've invested too much and gone too far in our education to give it up. We invested too much in our new home. We invested too much in our job to give it up. We invested too much in our career to give it up. We invested too much in investments to give it up. It's not that God's not calling us because we invested too much to give it up to hear and listen and follow God's calling for our lives. We've invested far too much and gone down that road. And God's going to have to take a people, possibly a young people, who haven't invested too much. Could it be that here this morning, there is that one person, one person whom God and all of Israel is looking for? This morning, won't you be that person this morning? Won't you be that one person who's willing to give their all for Jesus Christ? That's my desire this morning. If that's your desire, let me hear you say amen. 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 Let us pray. Father, we humbly thank you for all that you've done, your goodness, your mercies, your kindness. And Lord, may you raise Jonathan's afresh today. May you give us your love that will motivate us to serve you with all of our hearts. May we give our all, everything that we have, because you gave everything on the cross for us. Bless everyone here. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.